When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Westwire football podcast preview extravaganza, Utah State version. MWR.com is our website. You want to find anything about Matt, what do we do here? Is it Mountain West football and sports, I believe? Hence the name Mountain Westwire. <laughs> Yeah, that is uh, that tends to be our uh, area of expertise, or at least our area of enthusiasm. Oh, exp- I appreciate the change. Expertise depends on who you ask. Enthusiasm, one hundred percent. So yeah. th- we are doing our previews here. We have done a handful of Wyoming. We've done uh, Hawaii. We've done Air Force. So if you're keeping track at home and you haven't heard those, go back and listen to it. Subscribe to our feed, what, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Go back and listen if you want to go figure out and puzzle together because somebody in our dms uh say tried to have us give our one through six i'm like buddy slow down you'll have to listen to find out we don't just give that stuff out for nothing you got to listen to other stuff we talk about too so on here and here here's what i'll add on to that you know for those of you who frequent our website fwwire.com um you know later this summer of course we'll be doing our our usual all conference lists i think we're aiming to do that probably in in early to mid july and typically when we do that we also put together our projected order of finish as a website so correct you know as jeremy mentioned on our last podcast if you're following this week by week you'll be able to put it together on your own at least what what you and i think Mm -hmm. things will shake out but if you're looking for the sort of the group consensus that's coming out later this summer as well, so you got something to look forward to. Yeah, about a month. We do it probably, I guess, depends when you're listening, but around media days, right before we try to time ours a little bit before theirs to you know get that clicks out there is what people like to say. But, yeah, we'll, we're not yeah. going to give it away, but if you're keeping track already, you might know who Matt's winner is or mine for the West Division. Just saying. You might. You might not. I don't mm-hmm. know. But it, like we said, Utah State, the Aggies, who uh, – I, I have one consensus item I think every every Utah State fan can agree on, Matt. Um, I, I'd give you a couple of guesses. I'll give you two guesses. What do you think every Utah State fan, including us, can agree upon about the season last year and some preseason projections for this year? What do they uh, dislike the most? Well, okay, so I'll answer your question. No, no, okay, I'm going to answer your question with a question because I want to give Aggies fans a quick shout-out because we always ask for questions before these podcasts and Aggies fans, you brought it this week. And so I feel like there's, you know, one of the questions that we received from, you know, at U-State underscore Chad was why do Mountain West media publications always seem to underestimate the Aggies in in football? And he also talked about basketball, but we're, of course, our focus here is football. And... Yeah, we talked about it a little bit in one of the podcasts that we did back in the spring as far as, you know, where teams have been in recent history and, you know, how I think we talked about Utah State in particular as a team that has done better in the aggregate than you might suspect. Yeah, I think they, I think if memory serves, they have either the third or the fourth best records in the, in the Mountain West since 2013. But it doesn't always feel that way because they've had some ups and some downs in that time frame. And so you know, go back to two years ago when, you know, they bottomed out and they had to buy out Gary Anderson and of course enter Blake Anderson. And as a pivot towards talking about last year, 
you know, there was a lot of reasons for optimism going into the year. You know, they were very aggressive about bringing in a lot of personnel on the transfer portal. You know, we knew going into the year that Blake Anderson was a quality head coach. You know, he brought stability to an Arkansas State program that, you know, had a, had a measure of success of its own year after year, but was sort of a revolving door for a little bit there in the Sun Belt. But, you know, he, he anchored that program. He gave them a floor that they could rely upon. They were a competitive, bowl-eligible team seemingly every single year. And, you know, when you, when you look back to, you know, this time last year, you know, you, there was a lot of reasons to think that with sort of the, the youth that he inherited and some of the players that he brought in, that there was definitely going to be some room for improvement. And when you look at what actually happened, where, you know, at, at the end of the year, they were still 80th in SP+, plus, you know, 70th on offense, 80th in, by defense. But that doesn't really tell the whole story. You know, when, when Bill Connolly put out his division preview for the Mountain Division back in February, you know, one of the things he talked about was how advanced vectors mm-hmm. never really caught up to the improvements that the Aggies made over the course of the season. Sure. But I think it's sort of fair to say that because when you look at the course of the season, it could have gone any number of different ways. When you look at some of the, the things that happened in the first half of that season, especially, you know, you it's easy to overlook that. Yeah, they beat Washington State, for instance, in the season opener, but they were down by 12 mm-hmm. points with 12 minutes to go in that game. Which is also a good thing. You know, they, they were able to come from behind to beat that type of team. But yeah, they were, point- they were down by they were down by four to North Dakota with 10 minutes left in the third quarter. They were down by 11 with 11 minutes to go against Air Force. And they were down by three against UNLV with nine minutes to go. And then, of course, there was the, the crazy finish against CSU, where or Colorado State, excuse me, where, you know, looking back, Colorado State should have won that game, and they didn't. because Did you mention you know, Mexico they State? The, unit on there. the Aggies? The Mexico uh, State I did not too? mention but that came after. Yeah. Oh, oh, you're going to order. I see. Yeah. Because when, when you pivot to that, when you pivot to that Colorado state game and you look at what the season actually kind of looked like on the whole, that Rams game was really kind of a turning point in my opinion. And when I was doing research for this podcast, you know, I was looking at, you know, some of the advanced metrics that I like to talk about in these team previews. And one thing that came up was when you look at the game splits on Brian Fremo's website, bcftoys.com, there's this tab there and you can see it for yourself. But one of the things that really stood out to me is, you know, when you look at the first six games of the year, the first, you know, up to that Colorado State game, and when you look at the seven games that closed the season after that, starting with Hawaii and going all the way to the LA Bowl win against Oregon State, I won't want to say it's like night and day, but it's like, you know, they were dawning on it's so it's like you know sunrise and then just like they were peaking by the end of the year they were like the best version of themselves the defense turned a corner the offense got more explosive and so you know you know the, the first half of the season you know they had any number of close wins and then you realize that the last six wins came by an average of almost 24 points and so yeah, it's it's it was easy to underestimate this team going into last year, and it might be easy to do so again because you look at you know all the pieces that they're having to replace. You know, Devin Tompkins is gone, Derek Wright is gone, Justin Rice is gone, Marlon Moore is gone, and it seems daunting on its face. But then when you actually look at this year's team, when you look ahead to twenty twenty two they might still be the deepest team in the conference all the way around 
And even though, you know, by a lot of those same measures that I like to talk about, you know, by preseason SP plus, you know, they're still 92nd overall mm -hmm. as far as their overall projection. That seems low to me. And I feel like it would be a disservice to anybody out there who's listening to this, who is not a Utah State fan, to count this team out. Because I think they've definitely got enough talent where they deserve to be in the conversation to repeat as conference champions. We'll see if that's the case. Because last year, okay, here's the thing. Go, before we actually move forward, going into now last year, there were people, oh, they're going to be good. They're going to be great. Nobody believed them. And part of it could be, honestly, Utah State fans like, hey, I love my team. They're, they're not going to be that bad. I'm looking at Stacian.com where they take composite of the majority, mm -hmm. like the major magazine article or my magazine projections. So like Lindy, yeah, Alphon, yeah, yeah. yeah, Phil Steele, all the, and some other ones I'm not super familiar with, but a, a dozen plus teamrankings.com. Utah State was last in the Mountain Division, and it goes from high low points is good, high points is bad. They were behind New Mexico, and the only team they were ahead of was UNLV overall in total points. I know they picked division winners, but the fewest points they were at the bottom, they were basically 11th of 12. One publication had them fourth. There was some, a couple had them fourth, a few of them. But point being, nobody expected them. Remember, they, their team literally quit the final game of 2020. New coach, like Gary Anderson quit. They quit on the team. There was some religious issues when they're trying to get Frank Molly to be the head coach and everything. There was a, was he really being insensitive or not? I don't exactly recall. I think he's leaning toward no. But there was stuff going on where it didn't look good. So last year, I don't fault anybody for thinking of that bad. Or even the advanced numbers when you lose this guy, new coach, new quarterback. What's really returning production? What's not? Because transfers kind of count, but do they really count? And it did take them a minute to get going. To, to be really good for them being Las Vegas Bowl champs and winning with a backup quarterback in Cooper Lega when when uh, Logan Bonner got hurt and what the first driver very early in that game. Defense was really good. Like they had Calvin Tyler, who was good for the first half of the year. He got tailed off when he got injured. It took him a minute to figure out. And they made numbers. Sometimes you're not fast enough to figure it out because when they're winning by, well, they won. Never mind. My point, this point doesn't matter. But they're winning big. It just they're not going to make a big leap when you already have all this data that's saying, well, are they a good team? They lost. They only beat Washington State by three points. They only beat their this North Dakota team. They were struggling, like you mentioned, through most of the game. They get blown out versus Boise State at home. They lose to a good BYU team by two touchdowns. They struggle mm -hmm. versus UNLV, not not a bowl team. Struggle versus Colorado State, not a bowl team. Struggle for a bit versus New Mexico, obviously not a bowl team. But they prove that they are obviously good. It just debates numbers. It's like well. It takes a minute sometimes because of when you already, when already have all this old data, because they'll keep preseason data in there. It just decreases, but you always, if you ever hear Bill Connolly talk about, it, there's always some in there. It decreases week mm -hmm. by week, and so if they're projected to be really bad, that really bad number will decrease a little bit from week one to week two. But it's still always a little bit there because to get rid of it's nonsense and not good. You got to have some data because well, that's what people thought. And people teams can change. So going into this year is a little weird because. Like I said, they're defending conference champions. They return one of the best quarterbacks in conference. Calvin Tyler will be one – or, yeah, Cal, I get Turner and Tyler mixed up occasionally. Tyler was really good until he got – he was leading the league in rushing midway through until he got some nagging injuries and was kind of playing hit or miss the rest of the year. So they have one of the best running mm -hmm. backs in the conference. He'll be contention for all conference. They have Fred receiver McGriff who might step up and take over Tompkins, transfer Cobbs from Maryland who might come in and – We'll see what you can do because that Mike Lock we make fun of Mike Loxley, whatever, for his 
disastrous time in New Mexico. They put up big numbers and scored a lot of points in Maryland and did a pretty good job. So he's used to an offense being open. They have A.J. Vaughn's component defense. They have other guys who are coming back. I don't know either. Well, that. And, I, and I think that I think that's a really useful way to sort of rope in one of the other questions we got from from one of our followers, Michael Stevens at Ida Ag ninety three. You know, his question was, why should we expect anything different from from last year's team? And my answer to that, as a way of pivoting toward this year's team, is because if they're going to win at the same clip this year, there are some things they're going to have to improve upon. There are some things they're going to have to do differently because some of the ways that they succeeded last year are pretty difficult to replicate. And teams will kind of figure them out because it's like, but you know, you follow baseball more than me. Oh, this guy comes up from double A. His first three starts are amazing. He may go two, two and oh, no decision, ERA pretty low. By the time he faces the team again, he gets lit up or is not very dominant. And so teams mm-hmm. can, not saying that's the case, but they've seen Blake Anders, they've seen Logan Bonner, they've seen Calvin Turner, or sorry, Calvin Tyler. <laughs> they've seen these guys before. And so it's like, okay, maybe they've, not they figure them out, but they know what to expect more than they did by watching film of Arkansas State compared to watching actual film of Utah State. Different players, yeah, obviously, but that goes a long way. And if he's a really good coach, then it won't matter. But that's something just to kind of keep in mind where once you see a team again, it, it's going to be more difficult and things change and stuff. But that's just kind of a very basic overview of a new coach who succeeded. And year two will be just as good. Maybe. I, I don't know. But teams have seen what he's done, and that might make a difference if how good or maybe not good they are this year. Mm-hmm. What do we want? What, what should we get to? Offense, defense. We last year they won the Vegas Bowl, beat Oregon State, blah blah blah. They're good, right? Let's start with the offense, okay? Because I think you know, there's we could, and of course we'll talk about it position by position. But there are to to the point that I made a minute ago when I said that you know some things are going to have to be different. I think one thing that that Bill Connolly actually pointed out in his preview, which I think is definitely worth reiterating here, is when you look at offensive success rate last year, and and this is despite the fact that Utah State on on offense, what do they average in terms of like total yardage? It was like what over six yards per play, right? I know in front of me, but five point nine. That makes sense. The way Devin Tompkins went deep, yeah. Do you know where the Do you know where they were in terms of offensive success rate? I don't know. I don't have that nationally. No. Oh, nationally. Um, if they're at five point nine yards per play, that'd be what top forty. Hundred and fifth. What? How's that possible? And, okay, so I want to I want to lay this out for a moment because I think that this is a very important point that I think everybody in the offense is going to have to contribute to. The uh, Conley's definition of success rate is when you gain fifty percent of the yards you need on first down. Mm, okay. So basically, if it's first and ten, you gain five yards. Um, 70% on second down and 100% on third and fourth down. Mm-hmm. And so what do you, if you want to translate to some other things that you might be more straightforward or, or familiar with, just look at like yards per carry. Um, you know, on offense, you know, Utah State was seventh in the Mountain West in yards per carry on first down, 3.96, which is, you know, it, it's okay, right? It's right around average. But then that number dropped on second down to 3.29, and that was 10th in the Mountain West. You know, same thing with, like, completion rate, for example. Like, Logan Bonner, for for his part, I think his completion rate overall was something like, I think it was like 61, 61.5%. On first down, it was 6th in the Mountain West as a team, 58.8, with, with an 8.6% or 8.6 yards per attempt, which is pretty good. 
But then on second down, it dropped even further. You had 58.5% completion rate. That was next to, not next, excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong line. That was ninth in the Mountain West. And maybe more damaging was the fact they also had six interceptions on second down, which was the most in the Mountain West. And, you know, that extends to other areas too, where like their, their red zone conversion rate on offense uh, was only 77.8%. That was next to last in the Mountain West. You know, in the red zone as a team, they completed under 40% of their passes, which is, you know, bad. You know, it's, it's not great. They were ninth in the conference in that regard. And that was sort of despite the fact that they had basically a two, uh, an eight to one touchdown to intercept ratio, 17 to two. What really bailed them out was how explosive they were all the way across the board. Three plays of more than 30 yards. That was tied for first in the country. And coincidentally enough, that was exactly as many plays as the 2018 Utah State Aggies had. So the fact that they were able to pull big plays out, you know, know, 43 plays over 13, 14 games, it's like three plays a game. The fact that they were able to do that so many times papered over a lot of that early down inefficiency. Well, you know, what happens if that regresses? That I think is one of the major questions that everybody on this offense, from from Bonner to his new set of pass catchers to to Tyler Jr. and his 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 backups, everybody's gonna have to have a hand in answering that. They do, and then part of the reason that not that they're lucky, but it's just weird. Like he was really, really Logan Bonner on third down amazing. 67% completion rate, nine touchdowns, nine plays of 25 plus or more. Like what, what, what's going on at first and second down? They have to do that on third down, right? Like he, yeah. I don't know. It's not a bad thing that he's good in that pressure situation, but why make it harder on yourself? What was the reasoning on first down? I know the plays are different clearly in first, second, third down and all that, but why can't you be as efficient in completing passes on first down than third down? Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. And that's, if they could figure that out and like I said, be more efficient early on, because on you already mentioned all the stuff, like on first down, he was about 60% law of touchdowns, but it was a second, like second down was really a bad situation for them for some reason. He wasn't yeah, and, and, as good. And along those it wasn't same bad, lines, but just not good. And along those same lines, you know, he also wasn't immune to, you know, those slow starts that Utah state had, especially in the first half of last year, you know, in, in the first quarter of games, you know, his, you know, in terms of pass rating, which isn't the most, you know, accurate sense of how good a quarterback actually is. But, you know, from quarter to quarter, his passer rating in the first was the worst among the four quarters that he played. And, and maybe more importantly, you know, he threw the ball 112 times, five touchdowns, six interceptions mm-hmm. in the first quarter of games, too. And so I have to think that, you know, if he can improve upon that, by a little bit, even just in terms of like, maybe if there's a couple more incomplete passes, at least they aren't turnovers. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the thing. Like if they, like imagine how good they would have been, uh, who knows? They may be still, still the same record, but maybe they're not chilling versus Washington state. They're easy of easy victory of North Dakota state, even easier than what it was. They, maybe they beat BYU if they don't start slow in that particular game. I don't know. Boise state mm-hmm. was kind of a weird dish. We're dominated because three points couldn't do anything, but in the BYU game, they were down 14 to three, 10 to three, the first quarter. They were down 17 to three and second quarter started going. So had the fortunes flipped, they score a touchdown there. They don't give allow a touch a field goal over a touchdown. It's a closer game. So that that could go a long way from from being good to being like not just good, but if they could flip that around, 
if they if they win the conference again, they're in the discussion to go to a New Year's Six game like any conference champion would be from this league. But they can't have three losses if they're going to try to get there. Okay, so let me ask you this then, because this is another of the questions that we got from uh, from Matthew Harris. Do you think Bogan Bogan Lauder Logan Ponder? Sorry, <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Uh, do you think that he could get NFL draft attention this coming year? So, for people who I've quarterback coaches and guys who I know who who been in the NFL, they're emphatically saying not a chance, which. Not a chance is pretty strong. We're sitting here in June, and this last season hasn't started. Mm-hmm. I, because where I'm at, it's like, okay, where's Cam Rising? Where I live, Jer- um, Utah, um, Jaron Hall, BYU. I don't get why that's the, why they're so ev- dead set saying not a chance. Uh, I will never say never because if you put up big numbers, they'll find you and do what you want to do. Like Grayson McCall runs in a quirky, weird offense at Coastal, and he's getting NFL draft potential, and they run a a random triple option that also includes passing the ball. If he's getting mm-hmm. attention at that type of offense, I don't see why Logan Bonner would get attention, would not get attention for what he's been doing. Like, okay. So then let me, let me ask you the follow up question that we got then. Do you think it's valid to fear a, a, a similar kind of drop off that Jordan love had from 2018 to 2019? The only reason I would say that year schedule played a big difference. If I recall, Jordan Love was lighting up some pretty bad teams, correct? <laughs> like Stony Brook, <laughs> teams like that. Mm-hmm. I, the reason I, I go back to my earlier point, I don't know if it's that big of a drop-off, but guess what? Jordan Love was still first on draft pick, despite that. Second year not being as good. I would go back to saying, look, they'll, they've seen you again. You lost your best wide receiver. They've lost some offensive linemen. They had, um, it's just the teams watching you again and figuring not just you, but your coaching staff out. What does your coordinator do? What's your head coach do? What's your tendencies to do? And so there could, I, there's areas he could be better and still not be as good at numbers wise. You know what I mean? Like what if the running game mm-hmm. gets going really good and they decide to, whoa, we can actually run the ball a few more times. Cause remember, as I said, think it, this is a weird analogy to make, but they actually got better overall as a team when Calvin Tyler wasn't playing as much. So I don't. I didn't look that deep. Okay, what did they do? Did they throw a lot more? Did they different running back? Because running, game, I don't know if I would agree with that. No, I'm just saying, like, the, you finish your point. Before well, you get there. I mean, the wins were they overall the wins were better. You know, like at the midpoint, mm-hmm. they, they started winning more. And I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just saying if you're just kind of big pitch, you're like, oh, well, what what happened? Well, we know their running back got hurt a little bit, and they started winning more. I'm not saying that's the reason why. I'm just kind of mm-hmm. pointing. So I'm like, well, maybe they're could be a little something there but it's kind of i'm not going to pin it oh he didn't play he played in half the games and the second half of the year to reason to make the reason why they are not they were better there's other reasons they're better it's just if you look at a big thing well when the key starter goes out and they're winning more maybe there's a little bit here or there but really who they play they at uconn he'll do great alabama he'll struggle weber state fine unov will put up numbers he has byu on the road they'll be tricky Air Force defense is great, but they lost players that we discussed. CSU, not a chance. Wyoming, always difficult. New Mexico, Hawaii, San Jose State, Boise State, two of those last four, some good defenses there. So I don't see that type of drop-off, but I'm not going to – it's hard to predict. Like, you know what I mean? How am I going to predict if we get a drop 20% here's, here's numbers? Here's the other thing, too. Here's the other thing. I think Anthony Tucker is a better offensive coordinator than Mike Sanford was. I could agree, go with that. Mike, how many jobs has Mike Sanford had and not kept? 
That's an excellent question. I'm just saying, like Mike Sanford Jr. was it's, at Western Kentucky, Notre Dame. Come on, he's been everywhere. And and I, and it wouldn't surprise me, like if if he can lead Bonner and and the rest of that offense to another, you know quality year like if they can make these adjustments that we're going to talk about through these podcasts like it wouldn't surprise me if power five programs come knocking in the next year or two here's the thing utah state let's just say this is not my projection but let's say they go 10 and 3 win another conference title blake anderson's gone he's somewhere else he's not here offensive coordinator might get promoted or might follow him along to say stanford david shop they finally fire him because he makes too much money for winning four games a year he could take over stanford next year just saying mm-hmm. if, if he if he wins conference title again he's out of here Sorry. I guess to circle back to the original question, like I think it is it is less likely that he's as uneven as Jordan Love was in 2019. I agree. And I think a lot of that has to do with the offensive system. I think a lot of it also has to do with, you know, some of the pieces around him, which we'll talk about in more in a minute. But I also think like even if you know, even if he falls off, I think maybe the biggest concern is if he gets banged up. And and he and he doesn't quite recover in the same way that he was able. He seemed to be able to, in, in most weeks last year, because, you know, they gave him a lot of time to throw. He was willing to step in and and step up into the pocket and take shots down the field and take a few licks. But the other thing is too is, they've got the best quarterback depth in the conference, and it's not close. Because so. they have both Cooper Legat and Levi Williams behind him and and both of those guys flashed potential i think to you know even if they aren't quite at the same level just yet as as bonner looks to be last year i think they could provide a pretty reasonable facsimile or maybe in the case of of williams if he ends up winning the qb2 job you know we saw what he could do when he's on his a game in last year's potato bowl where he basically ran over and overwhelmed the kent state defense like he could step in and maybe give them a different look. And that, you know, I think that was another question that, you know, talked about Williams in particular about, you know, what they might be able to do to sort of put him into the offense. How do they use Levi Williams? That was one uh, Brett Brickerhoff had brought up. I mean, would it be out of the realm of possibility, do you think, that they could use him in the same way that, for example, San Jose State uses Nick Nash? Or maybe, maybe more to the point, um, you know, you look at who they played last year in in the bowl game, Oregon State. One of the things that they used, you know, not frequently, but to, to great effect, was they would use Jack Coletto exclusively as a wildcat running back. What's not to say that Utah State and, and Anthony Tucker and Blake Anderson couldn't find some use for Williams in that same way? I, why? What's the point? I don't what, – what, when your quarterback's that good, why would you do that? Why take away the best player in your team? I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying like they're going to use it for the for the sake of using it, but I'm saying like you know, in in some short yard, like like for example, you, Oregon State, to my knowledge, they used Coletto exclusively in like fourth and one situations or something like that when they needed a big body to just move the pile and and get a first down. So I'm not talking about you know bringing him in for entire drives, as much as I'm talking about you know, just having him on hand for particular situations and knowing that you can rely upon him as someone who has seen the field and has had success if, knock on wood, Bonner gets knocked out of a game for a particular stretch of time. I, no, I get that. I just, I don't like when they change quarterbacks. I remember even going back when they when Boise State was switching QBs. I just keep your guy. Like, I don't get the point. I think it's dumb. 
Because you because you telegraph what you're going to do offensively if you bring in a guy who has legs compared to the other guy. I just don't. I'm not. Maybe. A, I, I, I'm just not a fan I, of that. I get, I get your point. I get your point. But I mean, it's it it worked for the most part for Boise State. It wasn't like either quarterback mm-hmm. was a slouch, and I, it worked for Oregon State last year too. Montel Cozar. Montel Cozar was not a success. I don't care. Is that his name right? Montel. Is that is that right? Is that who I'm talking about? <laughs> I forget his name. Yes. You know what I remember? The shovel pass he did versus Washington State that blew their game. I don't care. It's one play years ago, but I just I'm just not a huge fan of doing. It. I know teams do it. Some can be successful. I just don't like. I'd rather have my guy out there who he's your starting quarterback for a reason. If he can't make a play on third and one, what's he doing out there? You don't have a running back you trust, a fullback to do. Well, no, a fullback, but H back tight end to get you third and one. So I I just. No, I don't. I'm just, I'm just not a fan. Of I remember that Cozart completed sixty-two percent of his passes with ten touchdowns and one interception. That's fine, but he blew it in the big game when it counted. Just saying. <laughs> I guess you and I have very different we recollections, do. but we, I guess I guess what I'm saying overall is it, it you know for for an offense <laughs> that was as explosive and is going to need to find new ways to be explosive this mm-hmm. year. I think they've they've got the brain power in that room to figure out what they want to do with an athlete like Williams, if they want to, like, I, I think it is definitely and probably more likely that they play it straight up and they just, you know, they let Bonner, let it fly mm-hmm. in the same way that they did last year, especially since when you look in terms of like, you know, expected points added, you know, this was an offense that, you know, despite the unevenness, I mean, there's no doubt it was very successful overall. They were 11th in terms of EPA per pass last year. And so, you know, to your point, if it's not broke, why fix it? Thank you. <laughs> just saying. But but Levi Williams is a guy I that could, could, I could he could do that, but I just rather have the guy out there who's gonna play. And who's gonna be number two? Is it Cooper Legal or is Levi gonna be the random third QB who comes in on those situational plays and the guy's your true backup? Like I think if it were me, I would I would rather have Williams just because of the trio in that quarterback room. You know, Williams is the guy who's 6'5 and 230. If you need a guy to push the pile, that's the guy well, you're turning my, to. Well, that's my point being, but your true backup is Cooper Lega. It's well, like we don't know that yet. I, come on. It's like, it's like New Orleans Saints football when they drew Brees, Taysom Hill, and Jameis Winston. Like, who's your true backup? It's, it wasn't Taysom Hill. There's reason there's a, at certain points he wasn't getting the starts when Drew Brees wasn't playing. He did at some point, but mm-hmm. it's not like that, but that's comparable. We have a super athlete, really good running the ball if they need to, can do a lot of different things. But when you want a quarterback, I'd rather have who's more similar to your offense. We all saw the Las Vegas, the Los Angeles Bull, Matt, of Legault throwing the ball down the field. First, only first quarterback ever in FBS history, first touchdown, first pass in a touchdown in a bowl game in your career, and he proved up and throwing the ball well. Levi Williams, I see him in at one. I mean, running the ball and throwing just okay. This offense is going to be throwing the ball. Levi Williams, if he gets in, will be here or there. Look, I, I'd put good money Cooper Legault's number QB number two. If there's some Foreseen issue with with uh, Logan Bonner, and he's out for a game or two. It's going to be Cooper Lego, no questions. I don't think so. Maybe you and I can make a bet about that off the air. Why not do but it now? Let the people hear. What do you got? <laughs> I, you know what? I think you were me, and and I mean, I'm 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 not one for forecasting generally, but I think I'm, that I'm not. I, I don't want to either. I guess I would predict that it would be Williams who would be the backup. Because you think, or do you think because he that's the reason he transferred, he was promised he could be QB two? Oh, I have no idea about that. I just, I, 
I think given the tools that both quarterbacks have flashed, if you gave me a choice, I would choose Williams. Interesting. So you're telling me depth chart number one, we get when they play UConn week zero, it'll be there will be Bonner, no Williams, Lega. No ores in there? Straight up? No. Okay. We'll discuss what we may actually do later, but I'm I'll take that hundred percent. That that's not okay. gonna be the case. All right. Any more quarterback situations we need to discuss here? No, I don't think so. But I, but I, and I think that that's you know maybe useful because you know I'm I, I you know there's a lot of statistics that I like to talk about, and I'm really glad that other people pay attention to this too because one of the other questions we got was more focused on the running game. Perfect. And going back to what I said earlier about how I don't know if I would necessarily agree with your assessment of how effective Utah State's running game was last year. Well, just, that was one of the things that. I'm just uh, saying at some point, other... at one point, Calvin, Ty- Calvin Tyler was the leading rusher in the conference halfway through the year. So it yeah. was effective at some point. But again, when you take a look at the entire season, and this is something that came up in the questions that we got too from at Mullen underscore Spices, the Aggies were among the worst teams in the country in terms of like power success rate. So like short yardage situations. Oh, I don't deny that one stretch. Uh, I, I no, I, I see that. Yes. No, no, no. I, but I'm going to lay this out for you so you know just how rough it was. They were 122nd in stuff rate allowed, 23.3%, which meant that basically one of every four times they tried to run the ball, they either got stopped for no gain <laughs> or got stopped behind the line of scrimmage. They were 96th in power success rate. So short yardage situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were 122nd in opportunity rate, like, you know, just over 40%, which means that the running backs, Tyler and otherwise, weren't really getting to the second level all, all that often. And if you want to translate that into some other things, you know, I mentioned they were 11th in expected points added per pass. They were 116th in expected points added per rush. No, I get that. And they- if you want the more, if you want the more layman's terms. They averaged over five yards per carry in August and September, 5.18. The rest of the year, they were under three yards per carry. Yeah, because they get all the yards. That's not adjusted for sacks. That's not adjusted for sacks or anything like that. But, you know, it speaks to a couple of different things, in my opinion. You know, one, we know Calvin Tyler Jr. is a difference maker. You know, we saw it at the very beginning of the year, like you mentioned. But then again, Washington State, North Dakota aren't the strongest defenses out there. And we saw it at the end of the year when he was maybe a bigger difference maker than Laga in the bowl game winning against Oregon State. You know, he ran for like, what, 150 yards in that game? I'm looking here. I need to pull up the box score, but looking per game, they only had 110. So I'm betting there's some sack yardages. Or 120. 26 carries, 120 yards, and a touchdown. It's clear that he's got the potential, or rather, maybe not even the potential, maybe, maybe shortchanging him a little bit. Like, I think it's fair to say that he is among the best running backs in the conference at this point. Well, there's reason if he can stay healthy, yeah. that's the one big thing that I think if he can get a clean fillet of health where, you know, last year he had, you know, I think a nagging leg injury. Mm-hmm. He had a broken, uh, it was, it was a broken hand. I believe it was something yeah. and he missed a couple games. He was a little less effective at the middle of, of the season, you know, 12 carries three yards against BYU is kind of a perfect example of how he was sort of limited but I think you know what we saw in September and what we saw in the bowl game. If Utah State can get more of that, you know, even if they're a little less explosive across the board on offense, that kind of efficiency is going to be more than enough to pick up that slack. Yeah, Athlon has him as running back number second team running back. Phil's still fourth team running back. Would yeah. he would he be considered a 
breakout player if he rushes for like thousand yards, twelve hundred yards. Well, I mean, he ran for over nine hundred yards that's last what, year. That's what I'm saying. Despite, like, despite being limited, that's what I mean. Like, so I don't know if he would qualify as a breakout, but I think you know, it would not shock me if he had the kind of campaign that put him in the conversation as like an offense player of the year candidate. That's what I was going to get to next. Like, where what's his ceiling could be? Because he played technically in twelve games, but obviously limited in about what half five, four or five of those. So he didn't play in Colorado State, Hawaii, fourteen games. He missed two. Yeah. Like you mentioned, a BYU game, 12 attempts. New Mexico State barely played coming back. So he had like a four-game stretch where he wasn't really out there. I don't recall the UNLV game. It wasn't great, but do you think he could mm-hmm. be – okay, let me rephrase this. We get a lot of good – conference always has good running backs. They have Brad Roberts from obviously Air Force. You have George Shawnee, who could be good, again, his health-wise. Whoever's at San Diego State, which looks to be Chance Bell. You have Jordan Mims at Fresno State, Titus Swin at Wyoming, Toa Tala. Like, do you think there's a chance – he could be first team run. You mentioned player of the year. Is that realistic? You think? I mean, there's a vacuum, like a lot of players left. Could he be the best I mean, running I think back? There's in the obvious front runners. I think, you know, if I, if I had to pencil it in right now, gun to my head, I would probably say Jay Kaner. Clearly, obviously. Anybody but if would. Utah state can have the same kind of success they did with a different kind of look, I think it's going to be Tyler that really leads that charge. So yeah, I think he could be an offensive player of the year candidate. Okay, I agree. I think he has that potential. Like midway the year, I'm like, cool. Let's watch this guy, because when I, yeah, it was a uh, who they had. Yeah, I think also because more importantly, you know, especially with Ezekiel Noah gone to the transfer portal. Yeah. The other big thing is they've got to get more from the other running backs in that committee, and I'm thinking primarily of John Gentry and Palate Makakona. You know, both of whom averaged under four yards per carry. As uh, you know, as a sophomore and a junior, respectively, last year, that is not going to cut it if Utah State wants to hang on to a lot of the gains that they made last year. Like you know, if if Tyler does get banged up again, again, I'm going to knock on wood. Same as they did for Bonner. Hope not. Yes. But if he gets banged up again, they have to get more from the running game. You know, from Gentry and from Makakona, those two guys. You know, maybe they aren't going to be the most important players on the offense, but you know, what they do with their roles, I think is going to do a lot to determine sort of what kind of year they have, because this is an offense that, or excuse me, this is a duo that, you know, averaged, you know, eight, nine carries per game last year. And so, you know, if they can get to like four and a half yards per carry, same as Tyler had last year, that in itself, I think can make a world of difference. And you look at also like how many plays they ran there, number of the conference and plays. I know they played the extra, the 14 games, but they were, I'm looking at about 100 more plays in Fresno State. Yeah. So there's plenty of chances to get the ball to multiple running backs. And because you can't rely on Turner, you can't give him, he's not going to be like Xavier Invalidate last year. Well, I mean, 20 something carries. Charles Williams, 30 carries, it seems like, 30 touches. They're going to have to. Depth is key in this league, in any conference. Like, if you have depth, it'll be good. That's the reason certain teams, you got, like, again, go back to Boise State a little bit. George Lonnie goes out. He's not healthy fully. They struggle running the ball. But San Diego State, which has multiple running backs, their drop-off may not be as big if when Greg Bell or guys in the years past have gotten hurt, they've had another guy step up who is within 85 percentile of the starter. They didn't quite have that, and they need to make sure they have that depth. So, yeah, if you make the most of your eight carries, you get. Yeah. But they, you know, like they're, they're off at you an overall quarterback, top three in the league, I think. Running back, top three in the league. Right there, receiving Fred McGriff could be could I think he might be their biggest breakout star this year. 
And who knows? You think of Justin McGriff? Oh, sorry, just not from McGriff. Yeah, that's a baseball player, Justin McGriff. Apologies. <laughs> <laughs> that's a long time ago. Atlanta Braves dude with the flat brim hat playing what third base? I think it was. I'm not sure. Brave guy. But point being, McGriff could be a big breakout star, and we'll see what goes on. But their offense look is at the moment. Again, sitting here second week, third week of June before Father's Day and everything. Their offense is going to be comparable to last year, and if Turner stays healthy all year. That's just another bonus for them. If they find backups that can that can play and produce, that's also another bonus. Whether it be he has to leave the game for whatever reason, or they just get hot and they will give you a five carries this quarter because your your last drive was so good, we'll keep you in there and give our starter a break. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm glad you said that because you know even though McGriff is basically the only major contributor from last year who's back in terms of the passing game, no contributor like in this new group of pass catchers that they have. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot. There was some some people that I wasn't familiar with that I'm that I'm definitely fascinated to sort of keep an eye on, and and see what kind of roles they carve out for themselves. Like, you know, I I wondered first of all like whether McGriff was going to be the guy. You know, because I think you know of the group, like he definitely stands out. You know, he's like what six six and two twenty, so like he's definitely an athlete. He's definitely a red zone threat. But I wondered, like, is he going to be the guy who's like that wide receiver one in the same way that Devin Tompkins was last year, I don't or is it one of the new guys? Tompkins, and I think that there's really good, cases so to be made for a few different players. You know, case in point, Brian Cobb, who you mentioned a minute ago, you know, wasn't like a, a superstar at Maryland, but you know, he was a he was a contributor for four years, and I think you know when you look at last year, he had only 25 catches, which doesn't sound like much. Four of those catches went for over 20 yards, though. And I think, okay, that's a rate that, you know, if if, if he has 50 to 75 catches, you know, <laughs> then you're talking about a rate where he's got, you know, 15, 20 catches, of, uh, 15 to 20 explosive plays. Like, that's exactly what this Utah State offense needs. And maybe more importantly, in my opinion, in his career with the Terrapins, he averaged basically 15 yards a catch. So that'll play in my opinion. And then you mm-hmm. add on top of that, a guy like Xavier Williams, who again, never really broke into the rotation uh, at Alabama. <laughs> but, well, you know, Heisman Trophy winner there. Guy. Come on, come on. What's going on? Yeah. Former four-star guy who, you know, I would say if he stays healthy, you know, if, if you're good enough to get recruited at Alabama, then you probably got a lot of tools that can, that can be useful at, you know, at, a, at a group of five program with a lot of forward-thinking offensive personnel mm-hmm. like Utah State does. And then you add on top of that, Terrell Vaughn, who, if you didn't realize this, set a few records at Ventura College. You know, he comes from the JUCO ranks. If I remember correctly, I'm going to look this up so I get it right. Now holds the school record for career receptions, yards, and touchdowns. 149 receptions, 20 touchdowns. If he can step in and be that new Brandon Bowling type guy, you know, we like, you know, we all saw what Devin Tompkins did. He was, of course, like the highlight maker. But that offense worked because they had multiple guys stepped up. Like, you know, Derek Wright was the guy who actually led the team in, t- in receiving touchdowns. And, and Bowling was the guy who was able to sort of work underneath. And oh, by the way, he had 10 touchdowns too. So, you know, I, I look at that trio of guys, Cobbs, Williams, and Vaughn. And then I also wonder, okay, well, you know, now that they're trying to sort of remake this offense, are they going to reintroduce the tight end? Because Carson Terrell is gone and he didn't necessarily play a huge role in the offense, but he had 11 catches and 12 and, and two touchdowns. 
but they've got big targets who could feasibly step into there too. You know, they've got, you know, a redshirt sophomore Brock Lane, you know, Parker Buchanan, redshirt freshman, Josh Sturzer, you know, all those guys are between six, three and six, five, and could provide sort of those big red zone targets that they need. So we may not be necessarily as familiar with all these new faces, but it would not shock me if they get similar kinds of results where, you know, maybe they don't have a thousand yard guy in the same way that they did last year. But then you look back at that 2018 team, they didn't have a thousand yard receiver either. What they had were six or seven guys who caught at least 20 passes and were, and were willing to share the workload and, and be part of an effective and efficient unit. No, and so that's what they need. It, like I said, it may look different when all is said and done at the end of 2022, but I, I definitely agree with you that the talent is there to, to be as effective as it was last year. Definitely. Let me go back to Cobbs really quick because I was pulling up some stuff where you're going through. So yeah. Maryland's offense was pretty good. Really good. They moved the ball quite a bit. So they had here's here's a crazy stat for you. So <laughs> the, there's a player tight end on their team. I might pronounce his name because I can't pronounce it. 52 catches, only 447 yards. It's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. But they had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players with 20 more catches on their team. And a few others who had 15 plus. He was third in you mentioned how d- the deep threat he was. So he was third in catches or third in yards per play. He was like fifth or sixth in catches. His yards overall were top five as well. So he's familiar to offense where, like you kind of mentioned, he doesn't need to have the ball all the time to be that great. But so he's in offense like, hey, I did this before. If we all get 25 catches, we're going to be really good. So he's, this isn't him going to a weird offense or different, but he, despite him being, I don't know, was he rude? If you, depends what stat you looked at, wide receiver four, but they played like 10, 10 pass catchers on this. Maryland team, a couple of tight ends. Mm-hmm. Looks like here, ten guys at eighteen plus catches. Like Utah State, like you got a guy who he was on offense that spread the ball everywhere. When he got the ball, he made plays. I was just kind of curious because I knew their offense was really good overall passing <laughs> for Maryland what they were doing. So he's going to something where he's familiar with, where he knows he can make his plays and score a handful of touchdowns if he gets thirty catches. It's, it's still a learning curve to get going, but all the, that's the only thing. we It's the unknown with Utah State. you got the guy from Ventura you mentioned. we got Cobb. You have Kim McGriff step mm-hmm. up and be the number one guy. Is there going to be a tight end? Will the running backs get involved in the passing game a little bit? I We'll see about that. It doesn't seem as likely, but it's going to be more of who than rather. You know, I mean, it's just going to be what guy's going to be the number one guy. And I think both, I can speak for both of us. There's not going to be a highly unlikely a repeat of a Devin Tompkins-type character on this offense. He very special type player because like he he had 102 catches, 120 yards per game, had double digit touchdowns. He was top five in number excuse me number four in yards per catch. And he's like five foot nothing or whatever, and he look how well he played. He can play. Yeah, and and think of this too. I think I've mentioned this other podcast. If I don't care, you can be the best defender in the world, but if your quarterback makes a perfect pass, you can't stop that. And if he if and Tom Gates has to make plays himself last year, but. With Logan Bonner making those perfect passes, it doesn't matter how big or small you are. You'll get if, it, if it's a perfect pass, the defender cannot stop that. And if Bonner could be a bit more accurate on those early downs, like there's maybe we're overhyping, but that's kind of what we do. But this offense has a chance to be on par at worst, like not at worst, but it's very comparable to last year, if not better. If it's better than last year, it's amazing. But if there's a drop off, maybe because they've seen what Logan Bonner and Blake Anderson can do. But I don't see it being he's done well at Arkansas State. He's done well at Utah State. Stepping in right away in a conference 
where he won and people expected him to win like two games last year. The over-under for Utah State last year was three wins. They're sitting at eight and a half now. They won a conference going, what, 10 and four, I think it was. Mm-hmm. He's a good coach, and he'll make adjustments. And, yeah, they lost Sanford, but that might be fine. Who cares? Sanford has been around a million jobs and been a, a washout at Western Kentucky who usually has good coaches and good teams. Well, and the other thing is, too, is, you know, other than Dimitri Kalifua, they're bringing back every major contributor to last from last year's offensive line, too. Yeah, Nathalon has three of those guys on their all-conference teams. Yeah, all of a sudden, this is a unit that, you know, it. I would say if you were looking at some of the deepest units anywhere in the conference at any position, I think this offensive line has to be in the conversation, but there's work to be done there, too. So you know how I mentioned a few minutes ago about how, you know, the Aggies were not great at, like, running the football, mm-hmm. right? Line yards per carry, opportunity rates, stuff, right, all that. That's yeah. not all on the runners. You know, a lot of that falls on the offensive line too. So I, I think, you know, if there's another thing that the offense can improve upon, it's, you know, getting more effective push from the offensive line. And it, and I think that's a group effort. So it's not just one guy, I don't think. And if you, I don't know how much credence you give to, to pro football focus grades, but, you know, we mentioned last week how, uh, you know, Air Force had, you know, I think one player with a run blocking grade under 70. You know, if you go and look at, you know, PFF's, you know, grades for Utah State's offensive linemen, not a lot of standouts in that group. So it was, it was a, it was a unit that was maybe more good than great last year, but that's not to say that they can't take a step forward, especially now that maybe they're more familiar with the offensive system and more familiar with what's expected of them. And they can take that experience and take a step forward. You know, I think getting Jacob South back will help. You know, he missed you know half of last year, and they had to replace him with Cole Motes, who was you know game and and definitely had some good performances down the stretch. But you know now he can go back and and be that sort of swing piece that they need behind you know South and, and Alfred Edwards at left tackle. You know they have two guys who can basically play center now and, and Chandler Dolphin and Falapuleallo. You know maybe they move Allo from center to guard, and you know now all of a sudden you've got you know a, a starting unit. That uh, if I remember, Phil Steele has over a hundred career starts between them. That's quite a few. Like, you know, that is definitely something that can't be overlooked. And you know, there may not be. I mean, I don't know offhand if 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 I had a vote in an all conference that I would necessarily litter it with a bunch of all conference players. But I don't know that there are any like super obvious weak links either. So it it may not be like a a high ceiling group, but I also don't think it's a, a low floor group either. I think it's it's a steady group that definitely has the potential for growth. And if they can keep Bonner on his feet more often, you know, keep him from taking too many shots and maybe improving just a touch on their sack rate, which you know was better than a lot of their their run statistics. It was you know six percent sack rate allowed, which was fifty sixth nationally, so right around the national average. But if they can improve upon that a little bit. That's another one of those little things that could make the offense that much more dangerous in the long run. So is that the area you think the most? Because receiver has a lot of replacements. So what do you think is the most important, that offensive line? Because do you think the receivers are, oh, I good. think so. Okay. And, it, and it sort of brings to mind another other question that we got. Like, what do we think Utah State's biggest advantage going into the season is? I think it's their offensive line depth. Especially if they could take that collective step forward. 
Why not because, go to- you know, because again, they, they won 11 games last year and there were a lot of things that they were still working on by the end of the year. And so if they can, as a group, you know, improve upon those things, especially when it comes to, you know, opening up running lanes more consistently, that's going to offset a lot of things that, we, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, are really hard to repeat. So you wouldn't just go with, um, well, I don't know. They have pieces in place, I think, to be really good. Because everything's, yes. there's, the only, like, if we're looking at negatives, it's running back depth, possibly, I'm just saying in big picture, kind of running back depth, and like you mentioned, explosive, explosive plays, getting more than a couple yards on early downs. You want to get more mm-hmm. than that. The offensive line, they have returning talent, which you mentioned the depth is there. And so that's, it's like we always say a million times, like, well, who cares if you played all 12 games? If he sucked, he sucked. You can't, you shouldn't be worse. So, it wasn't bad last year, but it could always get better. And returning those guys, they should improve, especially it's year two of uh, Blake Anderson. So you would think exactly the numbers may not, because it's always, okay, year one to year two, that's more familiar to the offense. He, I don't recall during spring if he said, well, we're doing more this year, we're opening things up, or we're installing new schemes or different type of plays. But you're more comfortable with, with what's going on out there. And so they have enough guys back where quarterback's back, running back's returning, where some receivers are back, often three offensive line starters, a couple are consideration for all conference, like Alfred Edwards, those type of guys. Uh, everybody you mentioned, Quazel White, Chandler, Dolphin, all those guys out there. There's not much weakness. It's more of kind of finding who's going to step up. I think that's the better question. Like, well, is there weakness? Well, yeah, but it's more we don't know who's going to be really good. And I think that that's also true of the defense. But the defense has, you know, different questions to answer, of course. And, and one of the things that, you know, it was sort of, uh, you know, a different story from the first half of the season to the last half of the season for a number of, uh, excuse me, in a number of different ways. For example, like in the first half of the year, in the first seven games, they only had nine sacks and they allowed over five yards carry, uh, 5.4 yards per carry. So, you know, neither of those were necessarily all that great. In the last seven games of the year, they had 23 sacks and allowed just 3.3 yards per carry, both of which are substantial improvements. And then on top of that, they also had one of the best red zone defenses anywhere in the country last year. Their touchdown rate allowed was only 45.1%. That was 10th overall in the country. That last one is another one of those things that I would be concerned about a little bit of aggression, especially since they're also replacing roughly half of last year's starting lineup. Hmm. But on the other hand, okay, what do you got? Again, <laughs> they had they have so much returning depth that it may or may not be a huge deal. And there's some new faces on this side of the ball who could definitely be impact players as well. And I think that that's true at at, at every level of the defense. So where do you want to start in defense? Because of they did lose quite Let's a bit. Let's start up front. Because, you know, a lot of, of the disruption that they were able to create last year had to do, it was it was definitely a group effort. Like, you know, Nick Henninger, I think, was sort of the headliner, uh, you know, with, with 21 and a half tackles for loss. Yeah. But, you know, it, you mentioned Byron Bonds earlier. He had mm-hmm. 10 and a half tackles for loss, too. Marcus Moore on the interior, 10 and a half tackles for loss. Hale Motuapuaka, eight tackles for loss. Patrick Joyner Jr., seven. Problem is, half of those guys are gone now. And it may not necessarily be easy to replace all that production. I don't know if I would count it out because another thing that Bill Colling pointed out 
is that in terms of like rate statistics, you mentioned Byron Bonds earlier. Mm-hmm. And when you compare him to Nick Henninger in terms of like, you know, percentage of havoc rate, for instance, which if I remember correctly, it's, uh, you know, it's sacks, tackles for loss or forced fumbles on a percentage of plays. Basically neck and neck with Henninger. And when you look at you know what he did, especially in the second half of the year, he started five of the last six games last year and eight of his 10 TFLs and, and four of those sacks came in the second half of the season. So it would not necessarily be shocking if, okay, he's a full-time starter now. Maybe he just goes out and has a monster season. And 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 not to say that Aggies fans are going to be like Nick Tanninger who, but yeah. they're not going to miss him as much as they might. His plays um, were like, he had those or, block field goals and stuff. And so like that's why he made seem more outstanding plays, I guess. Yeah. And then, you know, opposite him, you know, they brought in Daniel Grzeziak from Nevada, who, you know, only had five and a half sacks last year, but that was as a part-time player. You know, he was in a rotation with Cam Tuber and, and, and Sam Hammond and other guys. Mm-hmm. And and oh, by the way, according to Pro Football Focus, Grisesiak was Nevada's top-rated edge rusher last year with an overall grade of 80.2. So that's something to look forward to as well. I think the biggest question on the defensive line is we know Motuapuaka, you know, is a quality player on the inside. Biggest question left is who are they going to pair up with him on the inside? Because I don't know that there's a clear answer for that. But that was part of what made them successful last year is that both he and Moore were really terrors as far as being able to stop the running game, especially. And so if they can find that one guy, I think they're set on the outside between Vaughn's and, and Joyner Jr. and Grzeziak. But if they can find one or two guys that they can rely upon on the inside, that is going to make a world of difference and allow them to hold on to a lot of the gains that they made last year. That, no, I agree a lot because they, I know they lost half their starters, but who's like also, you haven't mentioned, well, I guess we're kind of starting order, but VJ, or me, AJ Vonkbachan, Vonk who two years ago was like, we called him the tackling machine. If he can make a step and do kind of what he did a couple of years ago, but overall, they're, you get the best guy from Nevada. You you lose certain guys, but the guys that are coming back are no slouches, like you mentioned. There's no reason to it all the TFLs and sacks are interesting how you can get those and what position is very good at it. But with all these guys having experience last year, what they did, the front of this defensive line is going to be solid again for who they have. There's not many holes or anything because again, you're looking at um, like Athlon, their all conference players. They have a couple guys like third or fourth team nothing amazing but we were i get we're losing herringer what he did but those he opened stuff up but there's going to be another guy who can step in and to repeat have another guy repeat exactly what he did difficult there's going to be these other guys that can mention are going to get better they're playing these teams they've seen before yeah but, like like i guess what i'm saying overall is like even if the run defense takes us a little bit of a step back which fine. you know again we, we talked about the offensive line and how rough they were by a lot of the advanced metrics it's also worth noting Utah State on defense, fourth nationally in line yards per carry allowed last year, 2.22. Uh, 21st in power success rate, second in stuff rate. So that's a very high bar to try and match. But even if they take a step back, you know, if the if the pass rush is hot out the gate as opposed to taking half the year to come around, mm-hmm. that's another one of the things that's going to offset that. Well, they also have other transfers too, like uh, linebacker MJ Tafisa from Washington. These are just random guys, not yeah. necessarily up front, but like guy from Miami for Hurricanes, Gervin Hall, and even like a linebacker from his old place in Arkansas State, Anthony Switzer. 
So maybe these guys mm-hmm. can come in who have experience, especially Switzers who played for Anderson recently. Maybe they come in and make a plays, but it's the portal's weird because there's going to be a lot of different things from this. Every team we talk about, well, well let's go step up. Like we mentioned receivers. Like, well, is he going to be good? He's coming from Maryland, coming from Juco. It's good. This is like the first full offseason where you can transfer and play right away, essentially, without having to wait for a stinking waiver. And so some of these guys' well, that's, I mean, defense will make a difference. At, in, we'll at linebacker, that's where I'm really interested as far as, you know, how the decision gets made in terms of like, you know, do they turn to someone from the transfer portal, like like Tafisi or Switzer? Or does someone who's who's come up in the system, like Keenan Miley, do does someone like him win that starting job opposite Vongpachan? Because I think, you know, one of the interesting things that I unearthed in, in researching for this podcast is that Miley was actually Utah State's best rated linebacker according to Pro Football Focus last year. Interesting. Small sample size. Yeah. But I think it's I think it's something that's worth keeping in mind. And and if nothing else, you know, no, no matter who wins the job, I think they've got some interesting depth at the position. But I think, you know, if there's maybe one thing that I'm a little concerned about is, you know, are the linebackers going to be able to be as disruptive as they were last year? Or, or can they help the defensive line if the defensive line falls off in terms of their ability to generate pass rush? Because, you know, they moved to Johnny Carter from linebacker to, to cornerback. He had two sacks last year. And then beyond that, you know, Justin Rice had a sack and a half. A.J. Vonkasson had a, had two sacks. They didn't really get much from the linebackers in that regard. Like, they weren't they weren't the guys who were coming in and, and making a lot of plays other than Rice. You know, they were the guys who were, you know, cleaning up and doing a lot of damage, you know, within the first several yards of the line of scrimmage. But I'm interested in seeing sort of, you know, who steps up to enable them to do that again, whether that's someone like Tafisi or someone like Miley. I think that's a very interesting competition that I'm interested in keeping my eye on. It could be both. Like, it just it's adds to your thing before, offensive line depth, or running back to depth is key. And so if you're, guy, if you're a guy who moves up, who knows the system, even though, again, the advantage is there but not huge because it's only a year, maybe a year plus, I mean, just spring and whatnot from last year, to a brand new guy who – did they, all these guys, could they participate in spring football? Are they coming just for fall camp and summer workouts? If they both work out, well, great. You have an, an extra body who's really, really good. And so it's a win-win, assuming these all these players turn out to be at least an average defensive player or get significant reps because they're good enough. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, if there's – I mean, if there's big questions that I, that I would think could hinder this team's chances of repeating, I think linebacker performance is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I also think having to replace three people in the secondary is another tall task too. Yeah, because who they I lose? Mean, it, it, Shaq Bond and who else they lose back there? Um, uh, Cash Jillian. No, duh, Cash Jillian. And Cam Lampkin transferred to Washington State. Yeah, so that's especially again we get the schedule and they play Alabama passes the ball, um, BYU passes the ball, Colorado State passes the ball, Hawaii, San Jose State, Boise State, it, like have over half the schedule is teams that will like to pass more than they run. Yeah, and, and I think that's true because even though as a team they had, they did have 12 interceptions, which is good, but it was definitely a pass defense that bent a lot more than is probably for, for comfort for, for Utah State fans. You know, they allowed an opponent's completion rate of over 62% and seven and a half yards per attempt. And I don't know exactly how much they're going to improve in that regard or if they're going to be in a situation where they have to bend and maybe find themselves in a shootout 
you know, from, you know, in, in some weeks, you know, moving Carter to cornerback is sort of an interesting move in my opinion, because as, as sort of a rangy linebacker this last year, he had, he had three interceptions. Pretty good. Which I thought is fascinating. But I also think that one, one thing I've got my eye on is whether Michael Onyanwu can take another big step at the opposite cornerback position, because, you know, he was one of those guys who I would say maybe improved more than anybody individually over the course of the year in, in ways that nobody noticed, you know, by the end of the year, you know, he was, I think, uh, you know, I would say Utah State's best cornerback or maybe their best defender in the secondary, you know, 44 tackles, you know, two passes broken up, didn't have any interceptions, but I think he was a guy who, you know, you know, he played his way into the starting lineup and I think he did more than enough definitely to stay there. And I think, you know, in terms of pro football focus, he, he made a huge improvement over his sort of, you know, small sample size playing time in the year before that. And so I'm interested in seeing whether he has another big step ahead of him. So is that the, I agree. That's probably the, you think that's the weakest area in defense? I think losing 75% of your starter is a pretty big deal. And it gets the offenses they're playing. Yeah. And so what this means, like, okay, we mentioned defense line guys, linebackers are also bringing in a handful of new players. And again, football, it's a puzzle. It all works together. If you, if you get a pass rush, your defensive backs, safeties, cornerbacks have to cover guys for less time. If your linebackers, same thing, you get pass rush, okay, you're only guarding a guy for a second or two compared to two to four seconds, which I know four seconds is okay, so l- l- Let me put it this way. I think guys like Onyanwu, Hunter Reynolds, Andre Grayson, I think they're rock-solid contributors. Mm-hmm. But I also think right now, when you compare them to the, to the defensive line, you know, when you when you were projecting forward for 2022, I don't know that there's an all-conference caliber guy in that group in the same way that I think there might be up front. But do they? I don't think they need it. If they're if they have depth there and they play well, it's like I would agree. I would agree. Plus, offense scores. But I also think that I also think that that is you know one of the things that could hold them back most often. Yeah, but luckily for them, they have an offense that could score points if needed. So. I'm not so the secondary does need to be great, just be about <laughs> average, and that'll be helpful. Yeah, like I said, I think it, it's it, it's it's not like a like a, I'm not trying to paint a picture of doom and gloom or anything no, like that. I just think like there's there's a there's a it, it is a little bit perilous, at least in my opinion. No, that makes a lot of sense because that's an area where your biggest concern is the secondary, and I agree, you lose 75 yeah, percent starters. Like if, if they like if it's a, if if they meet like their 70th percentile as opposed to like their 90th percentile that they did last year, I think the secondary is going to be one big reason why. Let's put it that way. No, that makes sense. All right, let's go to special teams here. They have a uh, what do they got? They don't have Savon Scarborough to return kicks anymore to be an NSA record holder, which is a it's a pretty big loss because he had one last year. They do have. I'm trying to pull my magazine stuff here. I had a couple. Guys, note. Um, what we got here? Um, shoot. Yeah, Steven. They might all of a sudden have the best punter. I was about to say, yeah. I based on his name, like Athlon put Steven constantly number one punter of the conference. So that's again, we know how big it is for CSU, Utah State, or not, well, obviously this year, but San Diego State. I mean, good punter can have your fortunes go for the better, and that pins yeah, something and, back. And we clear the about, ball, good to go. Yeah, we talk about like what what Blake Anderson inherited, and what he inherited was a guy who had a pretty good freshman year back in 2020. Mm-hmm. You know, for a freshman punter, averaging over 40 yards a punt is not easy to do, and 
and he improved upon that last year at 42.4 yards per punt. You know, they've been in, you know, the top, you know, top 40, top 45 in terms of net punting over the last two years. Mm-hmm. So like he's rock solid. And and so is Connor Poles, I would say, you know, over the, uh, excuse me, last year, 14 of 16 within 40 yards. So like, even though I think overall he was what, 20 of 26 or something like that. They asked a lot of him in, t- in terms of, uh, you know, being a 20 of 29 overall. But like when they needed him to make, you know, the in more makeable situations, he was nearly automatic in that regard. And so I think, you know, losing Scarver is definitely a big deal. But I think having the edge otherwise on special teams is another one of those little things where even if the offense is a little less efficient, if if both Coles and Constantly can help make up for that, maybe they settle for three a little more often. You know, maybe they are able to flip field position and hold on to it and, and give the, you know, and the defense can give the offense another chance with it. And tilt the field in the long run, little things. But I think Utah State, if if there's another thing that I think they should be able to rely upon this year, it's having very good special teams across the board. Yeah, it should be good. Yeah. Schedule time. Yes, let's do it. All right, here we go. We're already gone to hour eight, so we got to hustle here because this is getting long of the two. Yeah, let's do it. We'll we'll make it. We'll make it quick, but not too quick. As we say, the one person in our DM says, "I want a detailed breakdown of Boise State and Air Force." I'm like, well. Look at those when we talk we'll give about you a breakdown of UConn, Alabama, Weber State, and, and maybe a touch bit on a touch bit more on BYU. What I'll say is go listen to when we do Air Force and Boise State. There's your big breakdown. Is that fair? There you go. <laughs> All yeah. right. So they start off week zero UConn. Um, maybe our buddies at the UConn blogger, Daniel Conley, who now does not do anything in football for good reasons because UConn football as well. It's a tough go. They uh, Were they rejected from Conference USA or did they say no? I forget. They were, well, I think they they voluntarily left because they wanted to join the Big East and all their other sports. I mean, for football, they they are interested in coming back. So I was just kind of curious because I know where basketball should reside and where <laughs> it does reside. We know if the American, but UConn themselves, they are uh, not good. Is that a good way to put it? Is that a good way to put it? Week zero game they host the Huskies uh, the, at Maverick Stadium. It's putting it lightly. Um, you know, but and you know they are starting a new era, new head coach Jim Mora. Oh boy, Jim Mora Jr. Some interesting pieces. <laughs> like yeah. they, uh, they've got some interesting individual talents. Like let's not forget this is a t- you know they, they had a guy drafted in the NFL draft of, you know back in April, Travis Jones, who went to the Ravens, and everybody was like, why would you let the Ravens draft a guy like this? <laughs> like it's it's not going to be a great team in 2022. They have a better coach at least. Guys who might be able to do something and, and cause some headaches here and there. You know, they've got a promising sophomore running back, Nathan Carter, you know, 578 yards last year, over four and a half yards of carry. You know, they've got a decent wide receiver combo and Cameron Ross and Keelan Marion. Uh, you know, the offense probably still won't be good. I would say they probably won't even be average. This is still a team that ranks 129th in preseason SP plus, uh, you know, on defense, they've got some rock solid linebackers, Jackson Mitchell, Ian's, uh, Ian, what's his name? Ian Swenson, excuse me. Mm-hmm. But at home, this is a game that should not be close for Utah state. Yeah. They should roll. They should start the season with some good vibes. Transfer quarterback, take one Robert Roberson from Penn state. But here's what I want a question. I really want to know, Matt, uh, does uh, Jim Trestle have a bonus, like a five hundred dollar bonus to win the coin toss? Do you, is that is that familiar? Do you, do you know that? I don't know about that. Do you not get my joke about all the mini school bonuses he had before at UConn for Trestle or not Trestle, but um, oh geez, what? Are you talking about Randy Edsel? Yeah, Randy Edsel. Remember all those random bonuses he had? 
like thousand bucks here, five hundred bucks here, two grand here for like winning at halftime, leading this, doing this, certain punt plays or you guys gotta start somewhere. It would that's what oh, my joke for fun. I guarantee hopefully people will pause for laughter because I thought that was a good joke. I'm <laughs> getting a couple hundred bucks for winning the coin toss. But they should win by three touchdowns, right? Minimum. At least. So they go to Alabama week later. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> hey, hey, do not forget. Chucky Keaton, the legend began when they nearly upset minus Cam Newton, defending national champion Auburn, <laughs> Auburn War Eagle Tigers down there in uh, Auburn, Alabama. They nearly upset them the year after they won the national title. So, yeah, I think the real irony here is we might we might not have to spend as much time talking about the Crimson Tide as much as we did with you oh, just now. Heisman Trophy um, winner Bryce Bryce Young is back. That's a big. Deal. I mean, Utah State's not going to win this game. Can they I put think up, we can all be honest about that. Can they put up 21 points in this game? That's an interesting question. Maybe. Because remember when UConn played that? Or not UConn. Like, you know, it would not surprise me if Utah State, like, backdoor covered. Colorado State, that but game you're, they you're, did. You're, I mean, you're talking about you're talking about a team that, you know, you mentioned Bryce Young, defending Heisman winner. Maybe the best defender in the country, Will Anderson. Heard of him, yeah. Uh, and oh, by the way, he's got a pretty good linebacker running mate in Henry Henry Tooto. I think I pronounced that correctly. Sure. A lot of O's and T's in there. Um, you know, stacked at every position, number one recruiting team in the country, preseason pick to win it all. Do you think Alabama's going to win the national title this year? No. No, really? I don't think so. Do you think they'll be in the college football playoff? Of course, they always are. Yeah, that's true. They do. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, long story short, I be, what would not surprise me is that they put up a similar kind of effort to what Colorado State did back in 2017, mm-hmm. where they didn't win and the final score wasn't close, but they were pesky for a little while. That would not surprise me. And I don't think Utah State's going to be scared of going to Brian Denny and facing that team. Why do you say that? Conference champion versus conference champion. It's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun game to watch. It's, it, it's, it may not be the prettiest game, but I'm gonna keep one eye on it, and I'm looking forward to seeing how Utah State stacks up. So yeah, um, it'll be because what it'll do it's it's and I don't think Alabama has a game before, so never say never. But it's gonna be I think the lines like I saw it somewhere. Oh, I should look it up. I know the line dropped for Utah State games, but they have not pro- arguably or probably do the largest point differential betting swing i should say so i think they're four touchdown favorites over um yukon and i think like 35 point underdogs versus versus alabama it's crazy also yeah, it's we, we should guy. note there were at least four people from the state of jersey put one thousand dollars for utah state football team to win the national title this year remember that this is this is a game this game we love <laughs> college football yeah. where anything can happen Hey, um, but but I think people mentioned at the time that maybe they put that maybe they meant to put that money on Utah, and that is also feasible. Or Texas A&M anyway. Aggies, because <laughs> that's not a suit. That's anyway. not highly unlikely. Should, should we move on to the FCS minute and Hold talk on. about Weber State? Um, you do that. You do that because I know you're, it's your big. I know Jay Hill's pretty good, but I'm looking at the point swing. So you do this. while I look that up. That should give me just enough time for the point differential for the two games. Okay, I'll vamp for a minute because. Wildcats did have a down year last year. They were only six and five, but I think you could make the case that they were also fairly unlucky because they were pretty competitive all year long. They had a competitive loss to James Madison, one of the best teams in the country, moving up to FBS this year. They had one score losses to both UC Davis and Montana State. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and interestingly enough, you know, they did it with a really tough defense. You know, they were ninth among FCS teams in yards per play allowed, 4.43. Their big challenge going into 2022 is they're having to replace a lot of that defensive talent. You know, Jared Scheiss has moved on. George Tarlis transferred to Boise State. We'll probably talk more about him. We'll talk about the Broncos at some point later this summer. And, you know, they're having to replace their top playmaker on offense, too, in Rashid Shahid, who doubled as both their number one receiver and a quality kick returner as well. So, you know, this is another game where Utah State should not lose at home. But, you know, Weber State, they're they're a program with a track record. You know, I would agree with with Jeremy that Jay Hill Mm -hmm. is definitely a quality head coach. You know, it, it, they should, the Aggies should win comfortably, but Weber State got the capacity to be pesky, and they should have a pretty good year ahead of them regardless. Yeah, Jay Hill's known for good offense up there in Ogden. So here's the thing. The point differential, 65.5 points. 27.5 point, favor- point favorite over UConn. Would you, would you take that in the cover to get to 28 at least? Because yes. remember last year you said take Fresno State to cover versus UConn. It was like 20 points or something. Alabama, 38 points. There's no way they're winning by. I would, 30. Take, I would take Utah State plus thirty-eight. There's no way they're win, They're losing by thirty-eight points. Alabama doesn't beat many teams like sixty to twenty. Yeah, they could, but they don't usually. All right, so what do we got next year? Not next. Next. Oh, excuse me. Um, let's skip UNLV. That's a win, right? Is that safe to say? Yes. Even though UNLV could be pesky in multiple games of one possession score defeats or more or less or whatever. No Charles Williams, new quarterback, still looking at Fitz Brumfield, or I know Rogers transferred. They had some other guys coming in. So Marcus Royo. Do we need to rehash BYU? For a minute, just for a second. Um, I'm trying okay. to get, trying to get if there's any new news. They play at Provo. Oh, here's what we should note from last time, or well, more Utah State BYU specifically. The wagon wheel is basically ending after this year. It's a shame. The rivalry because BYU is going to the Big Twelve. They got to fix their schedule and. I don't blame them because you're going to the Big 12. You'll get three three games likely, maybe four. They're going to try to play Utah whenever they can. They're still trying to keep some of those games. I know Tennessee bought them out, but they're still trying to keep some of those power five teams mm-hmm. that they've had before. Like, well, let's try to keep uh, Stanford or USC or some other bigger names. Like, they're, they're playing um, Arkansas, stuff like that. But do you find it mm-hmm. funny that the letter was sent on, on Valentine's Day to break up with Utah State? That is pretty rough. <laughs> so that's like, oh man, it was a, uh, yeah, it's, so that's a, who knows when it'll be played, but basically it's like indefinitely, it seems like. So that's a bummer. So what we need to happen is Utah State go to BYU, beat them at Provo because BYU has new running backs. They have a couple of transfers like Chris Brooks is coming in. They have Lapina Cato, who's okay. They have a solid defense, above average defense. They have a brilliant, they always have a good offensive line. Jaron Hall's a pretty good quarterback, hasn't been healthy forever. Because last year he joined him on a radio show every week, but he's like, I'm good. I'm always good. He played like eight, nine games last year, essentially. Missed like half of these other ones. He totally lied to our face. No, I'm perfectly fine, but my ribs, oh, I'm hunching over for some reason, guys. But I could see Utah State winning, but I don't know if they will. Yeah, you know, the thing about last year's game, and I know that there, I think there were at least one or two people who asked about the BYU game in particular. Mm-hmm. The Utah State might have played their worst game of the year last year against BYU. Worst in Boise State, losing 27-3? Slightly. I mean, I think it's close, but yeah, I mean, I think when you look at it, you know, in terms of like, you know, I, I think if you look at terms of points per drive, for example, 
Um, you know, it was one of three instances last year where the defense gave up over three points per drive. You know, the other being the win against Air Force and the loss against Wyoming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was just like, it was not a great defensive performance. So that was really the, the crux of where that game turned. And the offense wasn't that much better, but I think the defense was a huge letdown in that game for the Aggies. And so I wonder, you know, if they're better this time around, I don't, I, I find it very hard to think that they're going to come out flat in quite the same way. Here's also why Tyler, Tyler Algier is no longer in BYU. Yeah. He had 218 yards and nearly 10 yards of carry three touchdowns running game. will take a step back, um, but screw it. I'm going to Utah state for the win. I'm doing it. They're going to get the wagon and keep it. They're not lose. They're going to hide it. Cause there's one year total disrespect. BYU did not bring out the wagon. wheel. didn't know where it was when they lost to BYU lost to Utah state a couple years ago. So I'm, I'm changing my pick from an L to a W. Then we've discussed Air Force, Air Force already. They, it's a home game. I You can go back and listen to that podcast for more details. But I have that as a loss for Utah State, even though it's at home. I do too, yeah. It's tricky. It's just the offense, new, like you mentioned, new defenders up front for Utah State. They, Air Force has a more experienced running game. They, if they can find a true running back, that'd help to go along with fullback Rod Roberts. Hazeek Daniels is really good running the ball. So I just think that's a bit... It'll just be tricky for them. And last year's game, too, Who do they want to repeat? Air Force doesn't want to lose 49-45 and give up, what was it, 14 points in the final few minutes of that game and lose? Mm-hmm. They don't want that. So what do we got next year? What's our next matchup? Uh, at Colorado State and then at Wyoming, are they gonna, which I have as wins. Are they going to win on the front range of both games? You think that's your pick? Ooh. I do. I think they're going to go in and crush Colorado State because they don't want last year. I think that game could be interesting, and when we, because of the way Jane Orville wants to throw the ball around, that'll be fun. Wyoming, mm-hmm. their offense isn't there. I think it'll be a low-scoring game, but I think I think I'm gonna have, I have them winning both games. Yeah, and then and Mexico, then I have them also winning at home against New Mexico. Same. What do you think about Hawaii? It's always weird to go out to the islands. It is, but I don't think Hawaii has the defense to be able to keep up with this Utah State offense. And we talked about the Warriors a little bit already. You can go back and listen to that podcast. I have this one as another Utah State win. It could be the one reason I think it could be close to interesting, not just a road game, <laughs> but the Brian Sherriger passing versus secondary, which is untested or new, I guess. <laughs> but then again, it's week 10, 11, 12. They should be fine of knowing who they are. Yeah. Spartans win. Boise State lost on the road. That's a, Those last three games are very difficult. At Hawaii, host San Jose State, go to Boise State. San Jose State's going to be a lot better. That's like an under-the-radar kind of prove-it game on both sides. I have that one as a Utah State win. I also have them beating Boise State on the blue. Oh, you do? Oh, my goodness. On the blue for the victory? And we should know Mountain West. I have questions. Okay, so so let's let's revisit that for a moment because I know people talked about that Boise State game in our questions as well. Mm -hmm. Are they going to put up more than three points on Boise State around them? Yes. You want to know what happened in that game last year? Turnovers? In terms of raw total offense, they yeah. outgamed the Broncos. They were also one of four in the red zone and lost the turnover battle. So when so 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 going back to what I talked about at the very beginning of the podcast mm-hmm. about how Utah State's going to have to do different things differently to to win at the same kind of clip. Improving in the red zone is going to be one of them. You know, in, improving turnovers is going to be another. And you know, it's it's easy to forget that they moved the ball pretty effectively for most of the first half of that game and just could not finish. 
And so when I talked about a minute ago about how BYU might have been the worst game they played last year, Boise State I mean, was I the worst game. The Boise State game was definitely the most frustrating game that they played last year, in my opinion. But I think that they have a lot of talent on the offensive side of the ball. And I have my doubts, which we'll talk about when we get to Boise State, about their about the Broncos offense. And so I think, you know, the, the Broncos should be able to, you know, contain them a little bit. But I just don't know if they have the horsepower, pardon my pun, mm-hmm. to be able to to be able to outscore the Aggies. So I have that one as a win on the road. I could see it. I went because the road game went lean Boise State and no, and I don't want to say, oh, tradition, they play well and do it. They're always a good team, but they are. But there are some caveats. Is George Lonnie going to be healthy? Can the offensive line not have what it's seemingly 18,000th year of bad luck in? Like Hank Bachmeyer's, they need to name a medical wing after him because of how injured he gets or how many hits he takes to the stomach. Can he get some yeah. medical sponsorship for this team? Like, hey, I'm, my, I'm sponsored by Intermountain Health to help to help me get in. My offensive line is no good. Come on, guys, help me out. I need some money for my medical bills. He... That's an issue. I don't see the line being that bad. Again, it's the last game of the year. Who knows who's healthy, who's not. Quarterback-wise, they're pretty even. Running back-wise, even if Hawaii's healthy, slight edge. Count what, what they did last year with Tyler, like we mentioned before, doing quite well. About a 1,000-yard guy. Receiving group, they're both replacing receivers, like Kola Shakir's with the Buffalo Bills. Maybe it's Stephen Cobb. You got McGriff. You got Cobbs coming in. Lot both both teams are kind of returning the on offense similar type of players who are back and gone I should say, mm-hmm. but in the Mountain let me make sure it's clear Mountain West they're not they're following the Pac-12 in no divisions next year, correct? But they're are they still doing division champs West versus Mountain this year? Is that correct? Uh yes. Okay, I just want to make sure I'm like because I think could this be a rematch? I, I know the Pac-12 is going top two no matter what this year so i was double checking if they've made that decision at least who knows maybe they will immediately they make some big announcement but as of this time that's not the case but yeah i've had as a loss but that that'll be one heck of a game and a great way to end the season well how it should be division opponents last year doing it conference division title possibly on the line i have them at and change i made my picks i switched BYU 10 and 3 and losing 10 and 3 oh no sorry 10 and 2 oh wait Oh, just sorry, nine and three. My bad. I had a mistake there. Nine and three. Looked at it wrong. With two conference losses, Air Force, Boise State, meaning they're not repeating as conference champions, but they will be right there. I got them at ten and two, seven and one in conference. With the Air Force loss being the only conference loss. Yes. All right, there we go. Here we're through preview number four. Utah State in the books. We've done Wyoming. We've done, we've done Air Force. We've done Hawaii. So go back and listen to those if you haven't. Check us out on Twitter, MWC Wire, to uh, vote in the next poll to see who we're gonna who we're gonna to preview next week, and just uh, yeah, keep sending questions like Aggies fans did, who stepped up big time and nine and three, ten and two for you. Anything else to add about Utah State, Matt, or anything? No, yeah, I think we're all set. I think Aggies fans have every reason to expect big things from this year's team. They should check us out at mwwire.com and subscribe to the podcast and listen to our next show when we discuss a uh, insert team here. I'll see you next time.